This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And over the next hour, we're going to explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Later on, we're going to catch up with Rutgers Athletic Director Patrick Hobbs. Lynchy, he is a guy, he's the CEO of a major college program. And as you will hear, uh, he's got a lot on his plate. He does. And uh, he has has a background in law and uh, spent most of his career at Seton Hall and now is uh, staying in the state of uh, New Jersey to uh, hopefully bring big things to Rutgers as a member of the Big Ten Conference. Absolutely. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. First, let's talk about what's been going on this week. And Rutgers, it's a big team from a collegiate perspective in the New York metro area. But the real big news in the world of New York sports came with the introduction of a new owner. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Yep, that's right. Uh, the Mets fans, <laughs> they met their new owner, Stevie Cohen, well-known in the hedge fund world to the point that the show Billions, I think, draws pretty liberally from some of his adventures <laughs> as an investor. Now here he is, the richest owner in baseball. This, we knew it was coming, but a seminal moment for one of the most storied franchises across baseball, Lynchy. Well, we all know Mets fans worldwide, and uh, they're a very proud group. They're a very loyal group. When I heard that song, all I could think about was Arch Shamsky and Cleon Jones and Casey Stengel and you know the poor bumbling Mets of the 60s before they uh, shocked the world and beat the Orioles in the World Series in 69, and then, of course, uh, beat my Boston Red Sox in 1986. But this is a big day for, for Mets uh, fans, and I think the Sandy Alderson, the team president, said it best. He said, instead of worrying about costs, now I'm only going to worry about acquisitions. And that thing pretty much says it all. Absolutely. And uh, Stevie Cohen himself uh, made a rare appearance and addressed the media. He's got a different role to play now. Let's check out what he had to say. I want to thank my fellow Met fans, the greatest fans in baseball. Your support has been incredible. You want us to win the World Series, and so do I. New York fans have high expectations, and I want to exceed them. I want an exceptional team. I want a team that's built to be great every year. I don't just want to get into the playoffs. I want to win a championship. Well, we'll see uh, whether he can make good on that. But to your point, Lynchy, it's going to be about spending rather than cutting. It certainly sounds like and making some front office changes already. This is a guy who is used to winning in the world of investing. And it sounds like. He's going to put literally his money where his mouth is, and we'll see whether he's able to transform this franchise. It's been a long time, uh, as you well know, since there's been a championship uh, for the Mets. 
1986. The ball went through Buckner's legs. Oh, boy. Too soon. He'll, Too soon. He, he does. He, well, he said he wants to win a world championship within three to five years. Uh, the New York Mets are not going to be his piggy bank, uh, and he's going to leave all the baseball decisions up to his baseball people. Um, which is a, a, a nice statement, but you know, someone who's hands-on in his business and as successful and as powerful as he is, it, that, I think the temptation might be, you know, just too tough to resist sometimes, as we've seen with other uh, big-name owners like in football. You look at a Jerry Jones or yeah. or Robert Kraft, but you know, he sounded sincere. And uh, if I'm a Mets fan, you know, I'm walking on air right now. I feel pretty good if I'm a Mets fan, which I am not, uh, for the record. Um, I'm a Braves fan, and so we've got a little bit of a tortured history of our own uh, with the Mets. Not quite as tortured as yours, but uh, yeah, listen, I think it is a, it's a big change for Major League Baseball, and uh, interesting to see that deal go through for sure. Speaking of baseball, and speaking of this program, got to send out some congrats to a guest on this show over the summer, Trevor Bauer winning the National League Cy Young, the first Cincinnati Red to win that coveted honor. That's a big deal. It is a big deal, and I was that actually stunned me. Uh, we're both me baseball people. We're both baseball people. We think we, you know, have gone through the baseball encyclopedia our entire lives before the world went digital. And this actually shocked me. All the great pitchers that the Cincinnati Reds have had over the years, you know, Don Gullett, they had. Uh, I mean, Seaver pitched for them for a little while, and this is the first Cincinnati Red, you know, and one of the original teams in Major League Baseball, by the way. So they're, we're talking well over a century, and the first time they win a Cy Young Award, and happens to be one of our guests, one of our more entertaining guests, by the Absolutely. way, that we on this show. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting, too, is we've not only talked to him, we've talked to his agent, Rachel Luba. She is the only female agent in Major League Baseball, so it's a bit of a coup for her as well. They were classmates at UCLA, and she's got uh, even more wind in her sails with this client now because he's a free agent, and his asking price probably just went up. He got even more attractive, I would imagine, to his potential suitors across the league. So congratulations to Trevor Bauer. He's a fascinating character, and... And I uh, highly recommend going back and listening to that podcast because he really breaks down how he thinks of himself as a brand, how he thinks of himself as a, a specimen in some ways. He pays a lot of attention to data and a lot of attention to his training, and it clearly paid off uh, winning the Cy Young. So from baseball to golf, I have to mm. say, Lynchy, um, you know, I'm a Georgia guy, as you know, and yep. – Usually, if I think of Augusta and I think of the Masters, I'm thinking of Dogwoods, and I'm thinking of <laughs> springtime. Uh, now the leaves are falling in Augusta, and they're mm -hmm. playing the Masters. What a year. It's it's going to be something. It's going to be a little different now because uh, usually everyone goes off the first tee, and now they're going to go off 10 and 1. Obviously, daylight savings ended, so it's going to get dark a little bit earlier. I used to be able to sit on your couch at 7 o'clock and watch the winner walk up the 18th hole around 7, but, you know, it's going to get dark down there about 5 o'clock. So they're teeing off early, um, and it's it's going to be a good weekend on the couch, as they say. It is. It is. Well, and what's interesting is they're going to be competing. You know, down south, you have to compete with college football and with mm. pro football uh, across the country as well. Uh, fewer college football games owing to the virus uh, continuing to surge. And a lot of games, especially in the SEC, uh, being canceled. But uh, they, there's still going to be some jockeying for viewership for uh those golf fans uh, may be splitting, and I think even the broadcast is going to change a little bit. They're going to end the broadcast earlier in order to carry college and then later uh, in the weekend. 
pro football. And if you want to listen to the Masters, just tune in to Bloomberg. We will be carrying that live throughout. And always nice to see who's going to win. Well, up next, our conversation with Rutgers Athletic Director Patrick Hobbs. He's got a big job, speaking of college football, and a lot on his plate at a time when they're trying to get ready for the basketball season as well. He's a chief negotiator for all the deals and putting that law degree to work. We get into a very interesting series of conversations with him. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. We're here each and every week at this time. Catch our Apple podcast as well. That drops on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Get that wherever you get your podcast. You can also there find extended versions of all our interviews, including that Trevor Bauer interview we mentioned earlier. We caught up with him over the summer, and he won himself a Cy Young, the first for a Cincinnati Red. I'm Jason Kelly here along with Mike Lynch. Today, we are so delighted to be speaking with Rutgers Athletic Director Patrick Hobbs. He joins us from New Jersey. Pat, really nice to have you with us. Uh, The world, as we were talking about just before we came on air, it's a little bit topsy-turvy all over again as we head into a very uncertain time of the year and time of this pandemic. I want to take us back, if we can, to all the decisions that have gotten us to this point. There are sports being played right now, including by Rutgers. Walk us through sort of how we got to this point in the pandemic. Sure. Um, We go all the way back to March 12th when uh, we're warming up on the floor in Indianapolis, getting ready to start our Big Ten uh, conference championship. And uh, right that the night before the NBA had canceled uh, the rest of their season, and uh, so Coach Pike and I are looking at each other, waiting for the Big Ten call. And um, he said, I, I have to give my pregame speech. And I said, well, go ahead and give your pregame speech. And then we're about to take on the Michigan Wolverines. And while he's giving the speech, my phone starts buzzing in my pocket and the world changed. All yeah. right. So that was when it, it shut down. And, and for Rutgers especially, it was, was painful, um, right? You, like, you have to measure pain in different ways when you think about loss of life and the suffering that's going on in society. But uh, we had not made an NCAA tournament in 29 years, and we're right on the doorstep. Uh, and, of course, that uh, that ended. So uh, everything changed for that moment for everybody and the way we do things, the way we approach things, the way we look toward do we play, do we not play, what do we have to do to play. And... Um, you know, a lot of work and a lot of effort has gone into being able to move forward with a football season. And even this, you know, for Rutgers is somewhat unique because it, it, uh, this season heralded the return of Greg Schiano, who had had great past success at Rutgers. And so we're excited to play. Our kids are excited to play, uh, but it's just different. Pat, tell me how the uh, decision to go ahead and uh, do the 180 and play the football season come about uh, in September. Uh, it was dead and gone. And then was it the observation that the SEC and the ACC were able to pull it off and then that increased the pressure on the university presidents? The reason we were able to sort of reverse course was um, the the development of medical protocols and a testing regimen that gave everybody a comfort that you could actually do this, uh, which we didn't have that confidence in the summer when the decision was made by the chancellors and presidents to suspend the season. Uh, if, you, if you remember, we had sort of just released, um, I think a week earlier, uh, a schedule which had a number of fallback um, positions that you could take. 
And then uh, as we sort of receive it, medicine is, you know, and science is really driving all of this, right? So that was when uh, a lot of the concerns about myocarditis um, and the, the risks to sort of heart health for these young athletes came about and the decision was made, okay, um, we're going to pause. Um, and then um, a medical subcommittee was formed uh, led by Dr. Jim Borchers of Ohio State University. And um, as they reviewed the information around testing and our ability to uh, test every day uh, while also developing a set of cardiac protocols, that was really what gave the chancellors and presidents the comfort to move ahead. I, I think if, if, they, if they had not had that, um, then they would not have moved forward despite the SEC and, and the Big 12 playing. But, you know, that's and, and it's working, right? So that's the regimen that we find ourselves in right now. Um, we have daily testing for our, for our football program. Um, the daily testing, the daily antigen test, actually eliminates the need for contact tracing. This is, I know more about this stuff now than I ever thought I would right. uh, have to know. Um, but that's really what enabled us to move forward and what's positioned us now, where, as you saw, you know, Wisconsin um, had to cancel two contests, but, um, but that was it. So it sort of it didn't become a, a, a team or a program that was spreading virus, which is, you know, what, what you don't want. And so, Pat, help us understand the, the economics of this decision from an AD's perspective, because, you know, obviously this is a health crisis first and foremost. But at the end of the day, you're running a business. You're running a big business and, and a, a big, important one that extends, you know, even well beyond uh, your team and, and your campus. You're part of a community, uh, you know, there in New Jersey. So how does that all figure in? How do you sort of balance all that out? Well, that is the challenge, right? So, you know, and I, I sort of think of us um, less as just a business. We're sort of more of a hybrid, right? So we are in the world of higher education. Mm -hmm. What we do gives hundreds and thousands, thousands of, stu of student athletes across the conference access to higher education. And we tend to focus on the sports of football and basketball where, you know, there may be professional opportunities for them, Um uh, after after playing, but you know we have to think. You know, at Rutgers we have 24 programs, 650 student athletes, and um, so on the one hand you're providing them an education, um, but there's also a significant cost to what you're doing, be it scholarships, travel, recruiting, uh, and obviously football and basketball, uh, the sport of men's basketball, um, because of the um, the content and television rights that really generates most of your res re revenues. Uh, in addition to your ticket revenues and your other revenues. So you are trying to balance all of these things. I mean, the, the kids want to play, right? They, they want to, uh, you know, particularly those who have professional aspirations to play professionally, um, they want to get out there. They want to show what they can do. And they want to draw the interest of professional teams. So they want to get out there and play. Now, on, from the business side, yeah, there's significant costs. And our structural costs um, are not easily changed, right? So whether you have coaches' contracts, whether you have debt service on facilities that you've built, um, those are costs that are semi-fixed costs for you, uh, and you've got to find a way to fund them. So being able to play, um, being able to access um, our media dollars is really important uh, because we've made the decision as a conference that we're not going to have fans in our stadiums. Uh, we don't have the ticket revenue. We don't have the concession revenue, the parking revenue. So you're still uh, challenged in a way where um, you probably can't close that gap, and so you've got to work with the university 
to find a way to bridge uh, to the following year. Uh, and we're still do- we're still doing that. We're still trying to quantify um, what the uh, the gap will be and and just how we close that gap this year. And I know that's being done at every university uh, around the country right now. Patrick, let me ask you about uh, Big Ten football money. Um, I know you came in the conference in 2014. Was it part of the ag- agreement when you came in that you would not receive a full share until, is it the next academic year? Is that right? No, that was so. so it was it was a six year on ramp uh, into full participation. Um, and ironically, this is our first year of full participation. Um, so in, in a year where you're um, having to do things uh, differently than you would otherwise, uh, this would be our, our year of full participation. So in some ways, we're healthier financially than we have been the previous um, five years. Um, but at the same time, not being able to generate those other revenues continues to provide a challenge for us. But um, we feel very, very confident as we go forward, certainly in a post-COVID world, that um, we're going to be in a very different financial position and we'll be able to be competitive as a result. Uh, and that's you know, part of the genius of Jim Delaney and creating BTN, mm-hmm. uh, the relationship we have with our, our Fox partners and our other media partners. Uh, very, very healthy. Um, it's, it's good for both sides. So as we go forward, there's a lot of optimism about the financial health of the conference and the individual school members. But this remains sort of a tough year that we still have to figure out how to bridge. So, Pat, let's look ahead. Right in front of us is the basketball season. You talked at the top of the conversation about how you were literally headed out to the floor for the Big Ten uh, Conference tournament uh, when the world stopped back in March. How are you feeling about the potential for basketball and what it may look like, the mechanics of it? Yeah, uh, so... Uh, it's going to look different. Um, one, we're, we're, we're excited, um, leaving aside sort of the, the health issues and the logistical challenges. We probably have the best team. We had a great team last year. We were excited about where we thought we could go, um, both in the, the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament. So we've got a great team, and those kids really want to get on the floor. and They want to show uh, what they're capable of. And you know, hopefully there is an NCAA tournament come March, uh, and they believe that they'll be um, a participant in that. Um, so, you know, football has been a good, um, window into, uh, what we'll be doing, uh, for our basketball programs. We will be doing the same, um, uh, everyday testing, uh, so that we know we'll have a clean cohort uh, of participants. Um, we will have some non-conference, uh, contests early, um, and, uh, those schools will be testing the day of, uh, and the day before the game. In New Jersey, we will not have fans. Uh, so our limitation based on Governor Murphy's current orders is 150 total people uh, in the rack, which is a shame because uh, I think, you know, by one outlet uh, ranked uh, our arena, the fourth toughest place to come and play a game uh, for a visiting team. We had 10 straight sellouts to end our season last year because uh, of Steve Pike on what this team is doing. So it'll be a very different rack this year uh, with an empty rack. Um, and so you'll just have the teams, you'll have the scorers table, you have the officials, you'll have the people who are working the game, uh, and we won't have fans. So that's unfortunate. Um, we still haven't really talked about what we might do by way of sort of canned fan noise. Um, you know, it's certainly uh, being used now in our football games, and, and I think successfully to give the 
the kids uh, more of a game feeling. Um, I didn't think it was going to work, but you know I've now been at three games where it does give you a little bit more of a game feel. So we'll have to figure out what you're allowed to do uh, in your venue um, to you know not, not make it too distracting, but at the same time try to create uh, a sort of a home court feel uh, for our team uh, and as we go around the conference as well. Um, but that testing that will be in place, um, the, re- the rapid testing that we have, uh, and so we feel pretty comfortable that we're going to be able to go through a basketball season successfully right now. Pat, the uh, gigantic elephant in uh, the room of every athletic director is keeping all your varsity sports. Uh, I think you said you had 24 of them. Um, many schools have had to eliminate uh, some non-revenue sports. Uh, is this something that has you tossing and turning uh, at night uh, quite often? Well, see, Rutgers eliminated uh, six sports a um, little over a decade ago. Uh, and, you know, as you look at it, and part of it is sort of the way you account for for programs. Um, I, I'll give you an example. You know, the sport of baseball, um, there are 11.7 scholarships that are allocated uh, to your baseball program. And so that's a cost, right, to our athletic department. But your typical roster of a baseball team is 35 student-athletes. So you've got roughly 24 student-athletes who are paying full tuition, room, board, uh, and other fees to the university, and yet those dollars are not counted as part of sort of the revenues of an athletic, uh, of an athletic department. Um, obviously, you have Title IX issues as well that you've got to balance. Um, and so what I think, and you've seen this with some of the programs that have cut sports around the country, they say it's not necessarily being done as a cost-saving measure, it's being more done to sort of find the right balance of sports. Some of the dollars that have been saved, they're getting redirected into other sports. So I know folks think that uh, cutting sports is a way to sort of get to a a balance, um, but it often isn't. Um, And uh, in many cases, schools are finding themselves in very costly litigation and having to reinstate sports as a result. And so uh, right now we feel very comfortable where we are. Um, obviously that can change at any time, but, um, you know, we went through a very painful process, as I said, some years ago, and, um, uh, we'd like to be able to support everything that we're doing. And, and as I said, many of these programs, uh, have very few scholarships actually assigned to them. So, um, the university is actually doing well to have these student athletes be part of the university, um, and pay their tuition, their room, the board, their other fees to the university. And in our case, that's, that's an excess of $17 million a year. So it's not an insignificant contribution, if you will, back to the university. So, Pat, you know, I do think about a, a job like yours, which there are so many different inputs, so many different constituencies. One of the things you mentioned earlier was the Big Ten Network. And, and obviously, these conference networks have been, I think, by all accounts, very successful as businesses and, and economically help us understand how you think about that and, and how it fits into sort of the overall uh, sort of running of your program. Well, the immediate partners are really essential to be able to do what we do the way we do it. Right. So um, you, you simply can't um, spend the dollars that we're spending without generating significant revenue um, as a result of, of your, your content. And obviously we're talking mostly football and men's basketball here, but other sports as well. Um, one of the things that we saw recently in a presentation by uh, BTN and Francois McGillicuddy, the, the president there, is just sort of how much 
um, viewership there is of Big Ten volleyball, Big Ten wrestling. Um, so uh, one of the things that, and that's a really important part of sort of being an owner of your own uh, your own network. Obviously, we're in a partnership with Fox as well, and they are uh, also a part owner of BTN. But um, finding ways to um, draw interest to your other sports as well. You're, they're never going to be quite what football or basketball is. But any all of this content then obviously generates um, advertising revenues, and those advertising dollars then come back to the institutions. So it's a really, really important part of um, how we think about uh, our, our con- how we sell our content going forward, how we're able to afford uh, to do the things we do, uh, and in a very fast-changing sort of media landscape, cord cutting and everything else, um, you're always assessing sort of where where are the next sort of pieces of this where where we we can start to generate some revenue. But uh, I, I think everybody would agree, you know, BTN it may be the most successful. Of the uh, of the conference uh, um, media partners, you know that's been created. And I'm I'm just looking at the and thinking about the role of the athletic director and how it has evolved over the last half century or so. It used to be a place where it was sort of a bridge between uh, coaches that went uh, before they retired. I'm thinking of Duffy Doherty, Frank Broyles, uh, Bo Schembechler, and somewhere before the turn of the century that role changed dramatically to one who cultivates relationships with alumni, uh, compliance, and probably most importantly, a fundraiser. Is that an accurate assessment of you with your job description right now? I don't think uh, 20 years ago I would have been an attractive candidate for a place like a Rutgers University because my background is I'm a lawyer. I was a law school dean at Seton Hall University for 16 years. Twice I was brought in at Seton Hall to assist on the athletic side because of issues that they had. So um, it, it's a very different job today. Um, I use my law degree probably more in this job than any previous job that I've had, uh, whether it's contracts, whether, you know, we talk about media contracts, uh, we talk about Title IX, we talk about uh, employment discrimination, all the things that you have to think about just internally. And then there's, as you just said, there's the fundraising component. Um, we built, we we started. Well, I'm coming up on my fifth anniversary at Rutgers, and we started shortly after I arrived. Something called the Big Ten Build. Uh, we generated over 120 million dollars of donation support as a result of that. So, yeah, the role is very very different. Um, I sort of, in some ways, wish it was the role where uh, you'd spent sort of some nice time, you know, winning on the football field or or on the basketball courts, and then sort of retired to it, but. It's a seven-day-a-week job, um, you know, in this COVID-19 world. Uh, you typically begin in the morning with, you know, 7.30 Zoom or WebEx call. Uh, in the meantime, I'll be trying to touch base with some of our donors, some of our board members. Um, so it is uh, – but that's what makes it a wonderful job, too. Um, you know, the best part of the job is being around 650 student-athletes, but it's also – you know, it's wonderful to be able to use your background – be it your law background, your fundraising background, um, to try to build something. And that's the way we sort of look at it at Rutgers is we've got this wonderful opportunity now as a member of the Big Ten to really make some noise. We're the only uh, Power Five institution in the New York metropolitan area. So when we make some noise at Rutgers, um, there's uh, 22 million people uh, in the New York metropolitan area that can respond and get excited about what we do. So uh, yeah, there are many, many different facets to the job. Um, there, no day is the same. 
Uh, and uh, then, of course, as a public university, you know, you have the media scrutiny as well. So mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a fascinating job. There's uh, days where I think I should have my head examined. That could be, uh, you know, sitting there in a nice uh, chaired professorship back at Seton Hall <laughs> Law School. But uh, but I'm enjoying the job, and I think we're starting to make some noise. Uh, and so a lot, a lot of work to do, but um, really excited where our football program is. Really excited where our basketball men's and women's are uh, wrestling and a number of other sports. So. Uh, It's a CEO role, um, no question about it, Um, but it's an exciting role because of of the environment that you're in and that you're around young people who are not just sort of displaying their athletic talent, but they're also uh, achieving sort of academic dreams and going on a success there as well. You know, Pat, as you were talking, one of the things that I was thinking about that that may manifest so many of uh, so much of what you're talking about from the prominence of the program as part of the Big Ten and, and in the New York Metro, as well as your background as a lawyer and as a dean, is you're also a deal maker. And and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the Adidas deal because obviously that was seminal. It feels like for for the program, you really shepherded that through. Uh, what did you sort of take away from that? What are some interesting things that, that we should know about how that all came together? When it came to um, revisiting sort of our apparel partner, um, that was one of the things that we did as a team, um, which uh, the three companies which we presented to all said that no one had done that, is we put together a whole deck to show just the impact that our brand can have in the New York metropolitan area and sort of the uniqueness of our brand um, obviously had some struggles over, over the years, but once this brand is winning, um, there's probably um, there's, there's few schools that are as good a partner as a Rutgers University would be. So we sort of, in any of these deals, we've been a, a aggressive in showing what the future of Rutgers is, what the opportunity is for that partner, uh, and they've embraced that and gotten excited about it, um, whether it's uh, Adidas as our apparel partner, SHI International, International as our naming rights for our, for our stadium. We're in conversation with a number of different companies about naming rights on our basketball facility. Um, people are seeing sort of where Rutgers is headed, and that's that's also a really fun part of the job is is getting those deals done. Um, yeah, my, my background as a lawyer and, and somebody who sort of was on the deal side of being a lawyer uh, has, has been helpful there. Um, but really the, the most important thing is the brand of Rutgers is going to keep getting stronger And so uh, you'll see better and better deals for Rutgers, whether it's with apparel partners or multimedia rights partners uh, as we go ahead. Pat, what has this uh, whole pandemic uh, done to recruiting? No contact with the coaches. And what's it done to a number of applications? I know a lot of student athletes want the full college experience, knowing they can be on campus. Uh, Are a lot of applicants uh, just pausing and taking a gap year and waiting to see what happens? Well, we haven't seen that so far in terms of the pause. What it certainly has done is changed the way that we all have to recruit, right? So without on-campus recruiting, you're really confined to Zoom and WebEx, um, and uh, coaches have had to be innovative. Uh, we A lot more use of sort of video tours of, camp, of, of our facilities. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, whatever it was, nine months ago, um, I don't know how many, how many hours of video conferencing I did in any month. Now I'll do, you know, four to five hours every day. And that's true of our coaches as well. So they've embraced the technologies. Um, it's not, is it perfect? No, we would love to get the kids on campus and meeting uh, more student athletes, but um, you know, whether it's Greg Shiano in, in football or Steve Peichel in basketball, 
you know, they, this is what we're all working with. Um, we feel like we're a, a university that kids should want to be at. There's great talent here in the New York metropolitan area. You know, in some cases, I think uh, kids are reexamining their decision to travel far from home. Um, you know, you're not going to have a pandemic. We hope we get through this as quickly as we can. But I think people are seeing sort of the value of being closer to home as well. Uh, and so, you know, uh, I think that's provided us a little bit of a, an up, uh, uptick in our recruiting advantage. Um, we uh, much more speak to um, the opportunities that are available to these kids and being in the New York market, being seen on, on television in the New York market. Uh, and so we feel that we have some real advantages, but we would love to get the kids to come back on campus. We've opened a couple of new facilities, which we're very proud of. Uh, and those help uh, in recruiting. Um, but in the end, what they want is they want to play in a great conference, be at a great university. And I think Rutgers represents that very well. Pat, as we wrap up here, I, I did want to ask you, and, and especially given your background as a lawyer, I, I wonder what you make of the the debate and the ongoing discussions around name, image, and likeness when it comes to collegiate athletes. And you know, it feels like it, it has backburnered a little bit, at least in the public conversation amid the pandemic and decisions about when to play, how to play and all of that. But where do you see this headed over the next couple of years? Well, I always start with any of these conversations with what is the student athlete currently getting? Um, and they're getting a scholarship that, um, you know, we, we sort of jump past that pretty quickly. But, you know, ha- having spent almost a uh, million dollars uh, in tuition, uh, fees, board, room, board, books on, on the education of my children. I know just how valuable that scholarship is. And so, you know, for the vast majority of our student athletes who are not in those sports where there may be some professional opportunities, what we're providing them is something that I think is priceless, and that is a, a quality education from a great university. So I always start there. And then um, I think about, you know, this is a time where uh, students are, whoever heard of, you know, 20 years ago, none of us said we were building our brand. Now right. everybody's always building their brand. So I think we as universities have a role to play in that. Um, I do think there is a pathway where uh, some student athletes, uh, because of who they are and the talent that they have, they may be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness, um, whether it's um, doing a camp, whatever it happens to be, and maybe some commercial opportunities. Uh, again, 10 years ago, um, I would not have known how you define the name uh, to somebody to be an influencer, but, but there's value in being an influencer now too. Uh, and some of these young people are the better influencers than anybody. So I think we have to be careful with it. All right. So, you know, we, we have to evolve. We have to change. If there is an opportunity, if there is a way without corrupting uh, what we do, uh, so that some of these young people can make money off their name, image, and likeness, then I support that. Um, but we'll just have to see. I think the devil will be in the details. Um, there certainly are plenty of unscrupulous people out there who've gotten involved on the recruiting side um, in a non-name, image, and likeness world, and it's probably only going to increase the challenges for athletic directors and coaches uh, in the days and months, months and years ahead. That's probably why it's uh, even better to be a lawyer in your job. All right. Well, uh, Pat Hobbs, thank you so much. Really good to spend some time with you. Good luck uh, finishing up the football season, onto the basketball season. And as a uh, as someone who lives here in the New York area, I can attest to the fact that uh, you're uh, you guys have really kicked it up in, in a lot of ways. See a lot more Rutgers around. So uh, good luck uh, continuing to, as you say, build that brand. 
Thanks very much. Great being with you guys today. And go are you. So, Lynchy, a fascinating interview. I mean, this is yeah. a guy who, you know, obviously has a big job. And I think we and I was glad uh, you asked the question about, you know, what an AD was and what an AD is now. It's it's complicated. Yeah, it is. Um, he says the job description has changed so much over the last uh, 20 years. And uh, as we know, he uh, he said he's using his law degree more now than he ever has in his entire life as an athletic director, right. negotiating contracts with the Big Ten, with Fox, uh, with Adidas. And uh, he more now uh, plays the role of a CEO more than he does an athletic director. And, and we all remember there was a day when, I don't want to call it a cushy job, but it was sort of a nice little little bridge into retirement oh uh, yeah guys the guys that had coached you know for 20 or 30 years and then okay let's go sit and behind a desk and show up at a couple of games and shake some hands with some alums and right you know just wait for the pension to kick in yeah exactly yeah i mean i'm sure he does his his fair uh his fair share of schmoozing uh but you know you think about negotiating a media deal you know being a part of what is a shall we say, robust uh, and important conference. And, you know, and yeah. he even alluded to, to some of the drama that we all saw from the outside of, you know, the Big Ten and, and Kevin Warren, the commissioner, reversing their decision uh, to to play football. And, and ultimately, they're on the field. And uh, and as he said, he knows more about. Um, <laughs> you know, we all do. <laughs> we all do. We all do. So uh, really, really enjoyed that. All right. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. There you can find extended versions of this and all of our interviews. Those podcasts, they drop on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.